Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Uh, my name's Aaron. Hello. Uh, I have been the Bishop of Kirkstall for about four weeks. So uh, go gentle. Uh, no, too many difficult questions. Um, I uh, came to faith as a teenager. I was raised uh, in a non-Christian household. My dad was Sikh, my mom Hindu. And uh, Jesus got a look in perhaps around Christmas, uh, maybe around Easter, but only really if it was on telly. Uh, but other than that, uh, faith, and certainly the Christian faith, wasn't big uh, where I grew up in Birmingham. Uh, however, when I was about 14, and one of the things about being uh, from Birmingham, slightly relevant given what was going on this afternoon, is that I'm an Aston Villa fan. Uh, Aston Villa played Leeds this afternoon at Elland Road. Uh, a nil-nil draw, as it turns out. Um, being an Aston Villa fan as a teenager in Birmingham in the late 70s and early 80s uh, meant I couldn't go to Villa Park. And the reason was Villa Park was a recruiting ground for the far right, as were many football grounds at the time. The National Front, the British National Party, would recruit uh, members. And being a uh, tubby Asian lad, (laughs) going to a football ground uh, aged 14 was not something uh, that my mum thought was the best thing to do for me. And then one day I saw a poster in the church across from where I lived saying free coaches to Villa Park. Uh, And I was very taken with this offer. (laughs) It said uh, there were free coaches to hear somebody called Billy Graham. (laughs) I had no idea who Billy Graham was. But there were free coaches to Villa Park. So I said to my mum, can we uh, go? She said, if I come with you, you can go. So I said, fine, let's go. So I went on that pilgrimage, my friends, to that temple of football. (laughs) And I went to Villa Park, and I heard Billy Graham speak. And I heard him speak about Jesus. I heard him speak about hope, forgiveness, purpose, And at the end of uh, his talk, he said, if you would like to meet Jesus tonight, come on down. Come and stand on the pitch. Now, that was an invitation (laughs) to stand on the hallowed turf (laughs) of Villa Park itself. And I stood up, I looked at my mum and I said, can I go? And I went down to that pitch and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I prayed a prayer of faith. The funny thing was, I didn't go to church for the next three years. And the reason was, I didn't know anyone who went to church. I didn't know a single Christian. So there was no one to say, hey, come. And to be honest, I was fairly self-conscious as a teenager to say, I'm not going to go into a church that I don't know, don't know when to stand up, don't know when to sit down, 
don't know what to do, and until I know, I'm not going. And three or four years later, a friend of mine uh, was released from prison, and he was looking for something else to do on Friday nights than what he used to do <laughs> on Friday nights. And his sisters went to a local Baptist church, and uh, they ran a youth club. And he said, what are you doing? I said, nothing. And so we went, and after going to a drafty church hall, uh, not as good as the one we've just seen at Bramley, mm-hmm. no dance floor, no bar, <laughs> but uh, a drafty church hall where you played table tennis, football. Um, the guy who ran it, lecturer at the local university, said, what are you doing on Sunday? And I said, nothing. And I started going. And therein became my journey to discipleship. Let's pray. May I speak to the glory of God the Father in the name of God the Son and through the power of God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, um, I want to start with a short film. Uh, It's about three minutes long and it attracted a lot of attention in leadership circles about 10 years ago for reasons that will become apparent in a moment. It's a clip taken from a music festival, uh, the Sasquatch Music Festival in Washington, in Georgetown, Washington. Because it was filmed on a mobile phone back in 2010, uh, the sound quality is a bit rough, the film's a bit shaky, uh, so forgive the poor quality. And if dance music isn't your thing, particularly not dance music circa 2010, let me apologise too for the soundtrack. One man stands in a field dancing at a festival. He dances alone, mesmerised by the music. At this point, he's just one guy. The title of that film is One Man Dancing. But then, there's a follower. That follower signals to his friends who join him, and soon there is a group. Others begin to notice the group, and very quickly they join in. Now, there's a crowd. The crowd grows. People see and come running. It's no longer one man dancing alone. It's something much bigger. For a while, about 10 years ago, that film was used by business leaders and others as a microcosm, as an example, as a paradigm of how to grow a movement. A single leader starts something. One follower becomes half a dozen, and it changes the dynamic. It's no longer about the leader. It becomes something else. Soon, in that film, you can't even see the leader. 90 seconds in, you can't see him in the crowd. Now, it's the followers who are drawing more followers. And momentum takes over. There is much, uh, arguably too much, written about leadership these days. 
any of you here students, and I saw there were a, a, a big number here, uh, might remember that dreaded personal statement on the UCAS form where you're invited to write and display, amongst other things, your leadership credentials. Do you remember that? You know the kind of thing you're supposed to write? My first leadership experience was negotiating my mother's womb, <laughs> leading to a life-giving journey that has benefited many others. Our reading from 1 Corinthians is a reminder that whilst leadership may have its place and is as important as followers of Christ, as Christians, our call is fundamentally something different. Our call fundamentally is followship. And that's essentially what we have just celebrated in our commissioning service tonight as we commission those who will be following Julia in her own fellowship to Bramley. So tonight I want to talk about the call not to lead, but the call to follow. And the life-changing, life-defining adventure that comes from following Christ. When we think about what it is to be sent of the journey ahead of those for whom we have prayed, it only really makes sense once we have understood what it means to follow. So I want to look at three questions tonight. Why follow? How to follow? Who to follow? Why follow? How to follow? Who to follow? First, why follow? Uh, a few years ago, back in two thir 2013, uh, Justin Welby had been announced as the Archbishop of Canterbury. And before he took up office, uh, he went on an away day with his staff and advisors to consider the plan, consider and plan his ministry, the ministry to which he had been called as Archbishop of Canterbury. And one of the discussions on that first away day included how he would or could explain the message of the gospel in its simplest form. Could he sum up the offer of the good news in one proposition? Could he communicate the essential message of the gospel in one sentence? After lots of toing and froing, he settled on this sentence. I believe... There is nothing better you can do with your life than to become a follower of Jesus Christ. There is nothing better you can do with your life than become a follower of Jesus Christ. Why? Because becoming a follower of Jesus answers the most basic and fundamental questions about who we are and how we are to live. As a follower of Christ, we understand our identity, our purpose, and our belonging. Our identity. Who am I? I am loved by God. It's a love that I cannot earn through achievement. 
There's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. His love for me is constant and overflowing. He made me. He knows me. He loves me. He wants me to flourish. He is on my side. Who am I? First, I am loved. What is my purpose? My purpose is to live a life that responds to that love. To become a disciple. To bring glory to God by being fully alive. To use the gifts, skills and talents that he gives me. My purpose is to respond to that overwhelming love of God by building his kingdom, to usher in to this world the virtues of the world to come through love of neighbour, through pursuit of justice and righteousness, by giving God all of the glory. In the words of John Henry Newman, I am created to do something or be something for which no one else is created. I have a place in God's plans, in God's world, which no one else has. God knows me and calls me by name. So identity, purpose, belonging. Where and with whom do I belong? I find my belonging with the family of God, his universal church, stretching back through time and alive now across the globe. My family is no longer defined by biological ties, but through spiritual ones, not by my own blood, but by the blood of Christ. I belong with those who seek to live in God's love and respond to it who share that desire to worship God, to give him glory and build his kingdom. So why follow? Because as a disciple and follower, I know who I am. I know what I'm for. I know to whom I belong. My identity, purpose and belonging are answered in him. That is why we follow. Secondly, how to follow. Following Jesus, as we have seen tonight, with those who came here, all ages, all ready to commit, following Jesus means placing discipleship right there at the very centre of our lives. It means that our discipleship, our relationship with Jesus, not only defines who we are, but becomes the very centre of our self-understanding. It means recognising all that we have comes as gift. Our talents, our skills, our breath, our money, everything. And as a result of recognising that it comes from gift, it comes as blessing, we seek to live in response. Whatever place that we may be on in our journey of discipleship, Our aim remains the same. Our purpose remains the same. To bear fruit for God so that his kingdom may come to rule in our lives, in his church and in the world. Bearing fruit 
means making sure discipleship is not a one-day-a-week activity. Making discipleship the central point of our lives, the pivot upon which our compass is placed and every other decision is made. Bearing fruit as disciples of Jesus can change the world. If you doubt that, consider for a moment this non-exhaustive list of organisations founded by Christians seeking to live out their faith. The Samaritans, Oxfam, Shelter, the worldwide hospice movement, Amnesty International, Help the Aged, the Red Cross, the trade justice movement. A non-exhaustive list of organisations and movements founded by Christians living out their discipleship, seeking to bear fruit. And it doesn't matter that the names of those who founded those organisations may be ones that you've never heard of. Dame Cecily Saunders, Chad Vara, Cecil Jackson Cole, Peter Benenson, Bruce Kenwright, Henry Dunant. Rather, it demonstrates that by placing their discipleship at the centre point of their lives, they were able to change the world by the work of those who followed them, ushering in the kingdom of God through their work. Their fruits brought the justice and love of God closer to people across the country and across the world. We are invited to do the same, to follow with that same purpose. The Methodist preacher Kingsley Barrett put it like this. This is a new beginning, a new birth, and it can take as many different forms as there are people. Therefore, even if you have been a Christian for a hundred years, look out for a new birth. A birth into a new kind of service. A new kind of witness that you have never known before. There are always new aspects of Christian life. Christian experience, Christian service to discover or to let God discover for you. What a rich and timely word as we gather to commission those who are going tonight. Women and men who place following Jesus at the centre of their lives on the lookout for the leading of God's Spirit. So why we follow, how we follow, lastly, who to follow. Our reading that we heard from 1 Corinthians 3 began with Paul telling the church in Corinth that they're not ready. They're not ready to hear everything he has to say to them because their minds, he says, are still fixed on worldly things rather than on those of the Spirit. Any work of God, be it welcoming someone at this door to a service, right through to going off to following someone to plant a church, begins with the Holy Spirit. 
We read in the opening words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1 that it was the Spirit of God who brought order out of chaos and formlessness. It is that same Spirit who gives life, who creates, who comforts, who guides, who leads. The invitation to us both as individuals and corporately as a body is to be alive to the work of the Holy Spirit who is already at work in the world. The Spirit of God isn't waiting for us to ask. God is at work. The Spirit is on the move. It is for us to discern and to join in. For some, this will be going into their workplaces, others' universities, others' colleges, schools. For some, it's being sent to plant a new church. We are sent into the world, not as people who are alone, but as people who are called by Jesus, prayed for by Jesus, and accompanied by Jesus every step of the way. Those first followers of Jesus were called to be disciples, individuals who were given it all up to follow him. Through the power of the Holy Spirit and through their witnessing of the risen Christ, they were called on from followers to leaders of the early church. But even as leaders... They weren't really much more than people who were still following the Christ that they had known and met. In church, and I think more broadly too, the best leaders we see point away from themselves to others. Not seeking glory for themselves, but for God. And Paul is clear about this in the second part of the reading that we heard, where he is at pains to stress that it's not him, it's not Apollos, it's not Cephas whom people are to follow, but God. The church and its leaders all belong to God. The church does not belong to culture or to commerce, to the marketplace or even to theologians. It doesn't even belong, whisper it quietly, to particular denominations. God is the one who brings growth, maturity, and the full flowering of the seed that has been planted through the preaching and living of the gospel. The church belongs to God. That is who we are to follow. In the name of Jesus who accompanies us through the power of the Holy Spirit who guides us and to the glory of God the Father who calls us. My friends, that is who we follow. So let me end with an invitation and with a recognition of Jesus' first words, his first invitation issued to those disciples. The journey of those first disciples began with a response 
to an invitation from Jesus. A two-word invitation. Follow me. Jesus offers that invitation anew tonight to each of us. If you have never known what it is to meet with Jesus, to receive that invitation or to respond to it, if you don't know what it's like to be filled with the Spirit of God, let me invite you tonight to take that opportunity. If you have known Jesus your whole lifetime, take the opportunity tonight to come and to be renewed by the Spirit who will lead and guide you. Follow me, says Jesus, without the promise of an easy path ahead, but with the assurance that he will equip you for all that's to come. Follow me, says Jesus, with the faith that whatever failures we may encounter on the journey ahead, they are not to be feared. They will not have the last word. Follow me, says Jesus, because in the end, there is absolutely nothing better you can do with your life than to follow Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.